Welcome to the Sunny Hill Podcast. This message was recorded at our pool campus. For more information about service times and locations, please visit sunnyhill.church. In this church, there's a few people that love board games. Losers, losers. Risk, losers. Monopoly, <laughs> double losers. You know, in fact, the, the love for these games are so vast that some of these guys, like the likes of Scott right here, will organise little sleepovers. No, not a sleepover, but that would be funny, wouldn't it? Sleepovers for their... That would be good, yeah. Where they play Risk to the early hours of the morning. And I rarely get an invite. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. This is like therapy for me this morning. People think that the reason I don't like the game or the games is because I'm not very strategic. I'm not really into the detail or the long-haul kind of game windows that Risk and Monopoly require. It's not that. The reason I don't like those games is because it always brings out the worst in me. Does that relate to anyone? Where you play a game and you lose your cool? I remember when I was about nine or 10 years old, this was really when I changed playing these games. I just couldn't be bothered anymore. I was about nine or 10. And me and my sister were playing Monopoly. We were probably playing for an hour or so. And I went after a really, you know, I had old Kent Road and some train stations. And I was trying to change the destiny of the board whilst my sister was buying up Park Lane and Mayfair, establishing houses and hotels. And you know that dreaded bit where you're coming around to the advanced bit and you think, I really want that 200 quid, but I've got to get past the purples first. Does anyone relate to that? You just need the grace of God in moments like that, don't you? <laughs> and anyways, my sister started to absolutely rub it in to the point where I just kicked the board on the floor. I know, can you believe it? You can't believe that I would do that because I'm such a godly man. You just cannot believe that. But monopoly and driving bring out the worst in me always. just the way it is. My mom sees this and my mom and dad are amazing, but one thing they did not tolerate in our house was bad attitude. She grabbed me. She says, get back on that chair and finish that game. And I remember getting to the chair and thinking, okay, all right. Somehow, by the grace of God, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I just became a different person. I was shrewd. I was negotiating. And slowly, I began to get the oranges and the yellows and the greens. I started to buy out some of the board. And over the course of the next hour or so, the game just changed to the point where I was raking it in and my sister was struggling in poverty. And I was like, yes, get in there, son. And anyway, about an hour kind of went by and eventually I won. And I'd already loaned her some money, but I said, listen, I'm done now. This is over. We're finished. And it was a revelation moment when I got my houses and my hotels and I put them back in the box. I was like, is that it? Is that it? Two and a half hours of struggling, laboring, striving for the win, buying houses, building hotels, only for it to go back in the box at the end? Is that it? Ever since that day, honestly, I don't play those games because I'm like, I don't want to give my life to struggle and labor for stuff that goes back in the box. That's something much, much greater, much greater risk than a board game and monopoly and risk. If you live your life, you spend eight years struggling, laboring, wrestling for the dollar, for the house, for the cars, 
living the dream, getting into debt, struggling, losing sleep, suffering with anxiety attacks for something in the end that doesn't transfer into eternity. Something needs to shift in our mindset and our vision to go, you can stay in the box. God has called you for a much greater purpose than a now. In fact, Jesus even says, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up your treasures in heaven. Now, what does treasure in heaven look like? Well, the only thing that transfers from now into eternity are people. You want to invest your time? Invest in the object of God's love. What we've sung about. Leave the 99. That's not just some wishful lyrics, nice poetic lyrics. They're, they're rooted in Luke 15. The shepherd who goes for the lost sheep. The woman who turns over the house looking for the lost coin. The dad who eagerly awaits the return of his lost son. That's where God's heart's at. And so today we're going to talk about finances. I'm not going to go on a long time. But I just want to challenge you where you are in your life right now. I'm going to challenge you to a new way of seeing finances. We're in a series called Smashing It. And uh, we've been unpacking really practically many areas of church life. and Not church life, just normal life. uh, Marriage, parenting. You can be done, Phil. Thank you. We love you. Bless you, man. Not because it was bad. It was really nice, but it's cool. You can't go, though. Where are you going? No, you can really. I'm playing. Um, you know, it's, money is such an important issue. Today, I'm going to talk about two things that I believe can transform the way you view money and actually free you from the pursuit of it. Jesus talks about money a lot. 16 of the 38 parables are to do with money and possessions. and They say one in every 10 verses in the gospel. It's addressing the issue of finances. Yet in church, we like to stay silent about it, particularly in the UK, because we just don't talk about money. Well, if you've been in the Smashing It series, we've kind of lost our dignity by now. We've spoken about everything to do with marriage, raising kids, relationships, and work. So today, we're not going to change gear. We're going to push just as hard into this area, because I believe that God wants to break things in people's lives today. So um, get your Bibles ready. Uh, You know, some people think that money is good. It's not good. Some people think money is bad. It's not bad. It's kind of a neutral thing. It has no goodness or badness in it. It's neutral. Paul says uh, to Timothy, he said, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. It's when money becomes the object of our affection and our attention that money becomes inherently evil. And so the same 20 pound that you can spend to feed an addiction, you can also use that same 20 pound to support an addict through teen challenge or through rehab. The money in itself is neutral. And so I want to say from the outset today, I want believers to be millionaires. I'm cool with that. Like, I think we need millionaires in the kingdom. Don't you agree? Who would like to be a millionaire in the kingdom? What? Come on, guys. Be honest. Look at him. Like, I haven't got a million pounds to give you. Like, you're like, give it to me. Imagine that. There's a briefcase. Enjoy. Um, (laughs) Well, we'll get on to that. You're going to regret saying that. But, um, you know, I think sometimes in the church, we think that having money is bad. Generally, the ones who think that are the ones who don't have money, right? Some way, God hasn't been able to bring blessing into our life because he knows he'll start it with us, but it will stop with us. And so uh, we're going to talk about that. Some people think that money is great. It isn't. It's just a thing. It's just a tradable commodity. That's all it is. And for the born-again believer, we need a renewed mindset about money. So when I talk about it today, 
Don't get awkward. Don't withhold your amens and agreement. You know, because just because it's money, don't get sensitive and think, oh, I hate this part. Oh, I hate this part of the year where Dom talks about money. This is a great topic to talk about because it can bring so much freedom to your life and to your world. So who wants freedom today? Cool. Okay, good. Half as many people. More people wanted the million pound. I just noted that. Um, So the first thing we're going to talk about is this, time with Jesus. We've spoken about this in every area of smashing it. Whether you want to smash it in your workplace, whether you want to smash it in your marriage, whether you want to smash it in your parenting, bless you, sister. I think that was a sister anyways. If it was a man, that's awkward. Bless you, sister. Um, Time with Jesus really changes everything for us. The, The goal of spending time with Jesus isn't to tick a religious tick box. It's to become more like him. So when you spend time with Jesus, you begin to see the world differently. When you spend time with Jesus, you begin to see people differently. Sometimes I think people want to rush into marital counseling, and that's cool. But actually, if they just prioritize their walk with Jesus, a lot of these surface issues would go away. Some people want to, I guess, go into counseling about stuff from the past, which I'm not against by any stretch of the imagination. But if we just established healthy rhythms of spending time with Jesus daily, spending time in the Word, then I believe that the truth comes into your heart and the truth sets you free. So time with Jesus is the greatest way that we can be liberated and released from anything in our life, including the power of money. There's this uh, thing in Luke 19. Zacchaeus, this guy tax collector, chief tax collector. Tax collector was somebody that took taxes from the Jewish people to help um, empower the Roman Empire. Uh, And Zacchaeus was pretty good at it, it would seem, because he was the chief tax collector in the region, which meant that he was loaded. Um, If he was like today, he would be like a gangster. Uh, He was using dishonest means to get dishonest gains to sustain a lifestyle that he had come to enjoy. And because of that, he was a traitor to his own people. And so when Jesus passed through the crowd, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus because Zacchaeus also had an eternity in his heart and a deficit that he wanted to address. And he heard about this Jesus. And because the crowds wouldn't let him through, who knows what he did? Climbed a tree. Thank you that you knew that. Gosh, that was close. He climbed a tree to see Jesus. Jesus sees Zacchaeus in the trees. Jesus comes over to Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, Jesus knew him by name because Jesus leaves the 99, goes for the one. He says, Zacchaeus, today I'm coming to your house for dinner. Zacchaeus comes down the tree and I don't know what he makes of that, but I'm starting to practice that self-invitation model. I like it. Teresa, I'm coming to your house for dinner today. It's going to be awesome. And as Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house for dinner... The crowd start talking and grumbling. If this is Jesus, why would he go to the house of someone like that? Someone who wheels and deals, someone who uses dishonest gain to get dishonest funds to sustain a lifestyle. Why would Jesus spend time with someone like that? And so they have dinner together and we don't know the nature or flavor of the conversation. But all we do know is that at the conclusion of the time, Zacchaeus says this. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I don't know if that was the topic of conversation. Maybe it was, but Luke doesn't record that. But what we can deduce from this is that when Zacchaeus spends time with Jesus, all of a sudden something in his heart shifts towards the world. Up until this point, Zacchaeus' thinking had been governed by the world. I'm going to make money. I'm going to hoard money. I'm going to spend money. But just after a few hours of spending time with the Word, the living Word, Jesus himself, the Logos of God, 
Something fundamentally shifts in the heart of Zacchaeus to the point where he makes this declaration. Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Would this have bankrupted Zacchaeus? I don't know. It's kind of irrelevant. All I'm trying to suggest to you is that spending time with Jesus forces a shift in your heart towards finances and possessions. So actually, if you're a greedy person, if you're a hoarding person, then it's probably indicative that you're not spending time with Jesus. If you don't have the faith to believe that you should give and give generously above and beyond bringing your tithe into the storehouse, then it's probably indicative that you're not where you should be with Jesus because spending time with Jesus totally transforms the posture of your heart. And I think it's this today that when I was preparing this message in the week, God said something needs to be broken in relation to this in the life of Sunny Hill. Something needs to be broken about the power of money and the, the hold that it has over people in the church that needs to be broken. And so, Dom, this is the word that you've got to say. And so that's what I'm going to try and say fearlessly today. And it's this. Some of us are nurturing a poverty mindset. A poverty mindset. Some of us are governed by it. And we've used that kind of term before, and maybe you don't know what I'm talking about when I say that, so I've tried to come up with a definition. This is my definition, but it says this. A poverty mindset is a way of thinking that is driven by perceived lack that results in fear and greed. It's a poverty mindset. It's absolutely rife in the church in the UK. A mindset that is totally convinced that we're living constantly in a state of lack. And because of that, it totally stunts our ability to be generous, to be faith-filled and give above and beyond. And I believe that God wants to break that today because I believe it's God's will for your life, and you might disagree here, God's will for your life to walk in blessing. I think God wants you to walk in blessing. As it talks about the pilgrims in Psalm 84 going to Jerusalem, it says they go from strength to strength, from glory to glory until they reach Zion. The life of a believer should be one that is underwritten by a sense of victory, not a sense of defeat. But so many believers are head-down believers, apathetic, discouraging, pessimistic, negative, and it is completely at odds with the kingdom of God. And it flows right into the way that we see finances and possessions. I don't have enough, therefore I can't give. God wants to break that. Absolutely break it. Because God wants to bring blessing into your life. Why does God want to bring blessing into your life? Because you can't bless unless you're blessed. You can't bless unless you're blessed. The reason that God wants to bring blessing, and he, I don't think he has an issue with having, you having a nice house and a cool car, whatever, but that's not the purpose. The purpose of blessing in your life is so that you can bring blessing into the lives of others. You could say like this, God won't bring it to you unless he can get it through you. <laughs> we have to be an avenue where God's blessing and provision can come to believers and also the poor. We have to become a means in which God can entrust money to us because he knows that we live with such a liberated mindset that it will never become our master, but it will always be our slave. To the point that, hey, Dom, Rob, Ben, Martin, Phil, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. But the poverty mindset won't allow for that. 
The poverty mindset, well, unless, unless I'm living in a constant state of suffering, then I'm not really living for Jesus. What? What, what are you on? Like, of course, there's challenges in life. There's hardships in life. But even in them, you can reign victorious. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Not God. But most of us have this warped theology that kind of says, unless my life sucks, then I'm just doing something wrong. Listen, God wants you to flourish in your relationships. He wants you to flourish in your marriage. He wants your children to flourish. He wants to pronounce blessing on your life because he wants to break the cycle of poverty mindset in your life. It's got to be broken. It has to be broken. So he wants you to nurture a blessed mindset. So I've come up with another definition for this. I'm sure it's going to make it into Chambers' Dictionary one day. But he says this, a way of thinking that is driven by perceived abundance that results in faith and generosity. So if poverty mindset is to do with perceived lack, then it kind of ends up with greed and fear. But if my mindset is governed by perceived abundance, now you might say, hey, Dom, I lack in my life. It's not a perception thing. It's a reality thing. Well, here's the challenge. You need to stop looking at what's in your hands. This is the kingdom economy. Because you don't deal with what's in your hands. You're here to deal and steward with what's in God's hands. Does God lack? No. Does God own a cattle on a thousand hills? For shizzle. I don't know where that came from. For shizzle. For shizzle my nizzle. God is rich in resource, and he wants to bring blessing into your life so that you can become an avenue of blessing into the lives of others. This poverty mindset will cripple us. It will always stunt the dreams that God puts in our heart. What's the dream of your life? Is it to have a massive house? Get a bigger dream. Is it to have a nice, go first class here and there? Get a bigger dream. Get a kingdom vision for your life. Get a vision that looks like this. In my lifetime, I'm going to reach 100,000 people with the gospel. I want to plant 1,000 churches. In my lifetime, this is what I'm going to do. If you begin to get big, heaven-sized dreams, don't you believe that God is going to resource and fuel that vehicle? God wants to break the poverty spirit. In fact, we're doing this proactively with our children. Me and Louise now have pledged to never say again, we're not doing this because we can't afford it. We don't use those terms. Like, so if, ultimately, because if Caleb and Judah and Zeke grow up with this idea that because mom and dad chose a ministry calling and worked in the church, we could never afford to do stuff, where's that going to lead to? A poverty mindset that says, the church robbed me. (laughs) So now, what we do, and it kind of sounds silly, if we can't afford it, we don't just do it because we don't champion debt. We don't encourage you to get into debt at all. We kind of say a different reason as to why we're not going to do it. So when Caleb says something like, can we go to Barbados this weekend? I would say, I don't feel like it. (laughs) I will not utter the words. We won't do it because we can't afford it. But better than that, this is the way we do it. Caleb, if that's what you think we should do, let's pray about it. Let's go to Heavenly Father. If God wants us in Barbados, he'll fuel the vision. 
This is the thing. This is what I'm talking about, changing the way that we see finances. This becomes increasingly important. There's this great soundbite in the book uh, that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth about the church in Macedonia. Check this out. In the midst of a very severe trial, right? so they're going through a severe trial, this church in Macedonia, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty... They always go hand in hand, don't they? Overflowing joy and extreme poverty, right? Welled up in rich, rich generosity. Wow. This church in Macedonia, going through difficulty, had overflowing joy despite extreme poverty, and it welled up in rich generosity. Isn't that mind-boggling? It goes on, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, and this, no pastor can understand this verse, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. In other words, Paul, we want to give more. Wow. Imagine being part of a church that cannot stop giving. This is a church that had the poverty mindset broken over their existence. Even though they were facing extreme poverty, it did not restrict their generosity. So they lived with a blessed mindset. And I think they understood the economy that Paul talks about in Corinthians also, about the power of the seed. That, hey, if we sow sparingly, we will reap sparingly. If we sow bountifully, we will reap bountifully. So I think for the church in Macedonia, it was a no-brainer. Hey, this stuff isn't our master. It's a slave. We can give and we want to give. Can we give more? Can we give more? Can we give more? You know, I was praying about this yesterday. I was praying, God, I pray this time next year, Sunny Hill as a church would be a church like this. That when we take up the offering at the conclusion of the service, there's not a, oh, not the money bit. Ah, oh, not Richard again, getting up, making us clap for the offering. Who's excited about giving stuff away? But we become a people who say, let me give, please, let me give. I want to give, I want to bless, because as I bless, I know God will bless me to bless others. I want to bless, I want to bless. I'm becoming a channel for the blessing and provision of God to flow to the people that he loves. Something has to shift for us to break the power of the poverty mindset. And I think one of the disciplines that we embed into our lives that help us is this. First fruits. First fruits. In the Old Testament, uh, the term first fruits restores to bringing in the harvest. And it's interchangeable with the word tithe. We unapologetically and unashamedly preach the, the practice of the tithe in this house. We think it is a great practice. What's the tithe? The tithe and first fruits is this idea that when you go out to harvest the crop from which you've sown seed, Your first priority is to bring the first 10% of your income or of your produce and bring it into the storehouse, i.e. the temple, i.e. the church. And out of that, God will bring blessing into your world because he knows that he can trust you to steward finance properly. So it's this idea of first fruits. The problem with the poverty mindset is that God rarely gets your first fruits, he gets your last fruits. He doesn't get your bountiful offering. He gets your minimal offering. In fact, I was thinking like this. Here's a chocolate bar. Beautiful dairy milk. Who likes dairy milk? Best chocolate in the world. I'm kind of trying to lose weight at the moment, so any excuse 
To get fat for the glory of God is always a win in my book. Uh, but here's my chocolate bar. And let's say this is the product of my month's hard work. I think often this is how we deal with the fruit of our harvest. We go, oh, well, you know, I like chocolate. So just imagine I'm eating some. I'm not going to eat some. but I like chocolate. Actually, I really like that chocolate. I want to eat this. Do you want some? Um, I really like chocolate. There we go. And then, actually, you know what? I, I really like those golf clubs, or I really like this, uh, this new TV that's come out. And so, oh, yeah. And I've got to pay my mortgage and bills and all that sort of stuff. So I'll do that. Uh, and then, like, maybe I'll have a little bit. Uh, um, oh, so good. <sighs> you realize how much Slimming World sucks when you eat a piece of real chocolate. Oh, man. And then we have our crummy little leftovers here. And we go, Lord, this is for you. When the offering basket comes around, how much I've got? 10 quid, 20 quid. Lord, this is my offering of worship to you. Thank you for sending Jesus to set me free of my sin. Thank you for everything and all the blessings you've poured into my life. Thank you for my kids and my wife. I lay here my £7.80 to bless your holy name. It's a poverty mindset way of giving. And it will cripple your growth. And it will cripple the growth of this house. Because the law of first fruits, any reason to eat more chocolate, the law of first fruits is to come and go, go and say, God, I understand. I get it. Everything I have is yours. There's nothing in my life that belongs to me. It all belongs to you because when I made you king of my heart, you became the king of my heart, the king of everything in my life. And so here's, here's my fruit. Here's my harvest. God, I give this to you. And the premise of the first fruits isn't that you lose 10%. It's that you keep 90. It's a mindset that shifts from one of hoarding keeping to one of giving. And actually, I don't want to get legalistic about this stuff. So to be honest, 10% is not impressive. Before we think, oh, I'm a fully-fledged tither. <laughs> you know, I've given 200 pounds. The church in Macedonia, the church that Paul celebrates, they went beyond their ability. They stretched themselves to be able to give plentifully. Tithing's cool, but let me say it like this. It's the starting line, not the finish block. Maybe you don't tithe right now and you think, well, maybe I'll start with 2%, work up to 3%, 4%, and then maybe in 40 years I'll hit the 10. No. From what I read in Scripture, start with the 10. It's your act of worship. It's a reasonable act of worship. Your unwillingness to do so says something about the size of your faith. You think I'm being harsh? Good. I'm trying to wake you guys up. God, it all belongs to you. All of it. What, you want me to give 20% and you want me to give 20% to that charity and you want me to send 10% abroad? Cool. I get to keep 50%. Wicked. Thanks, Lord. More often than not, it's mine. It's like my precious. God, you, you want what? My money? Like, I worked hard for that. 
in Malachi, God says, look, bring your tithe into the storehouse, the place where you feed. If this is your church, you should be tithing. Bring it into the storehouse. And God says, and watch me throw open the gates of heaven, the windows of heaven. I'm going to pour blessing into your life that you can't contain it. Listen, if you are struggling with real lack, I want to say start by tithing. Listen, you know what? If we could, I don't think we can because of charity law, but I would want to do a money-back guarantee on tithing. I would. I'd want to say, try this principle and see if God doesn't bring blessing into your world. All I'm doing is I'm preaching principles of the Bible. Some people say, oh, tithing isn't in the New Testament. Well, yes, it is, actually. Jesus affirms it when he's dealing with a poverty mindset in the religious. He says, you should love the widow, you should help the alien, you should, but you should also do that without neglecting the bringing the tithe, the herbs and the, the fruit of your harvest, all this sort of stuff. Jesus affirms it. But if we really want to go for a New Testament model, I'm really cool on that. Because let me tell you what the New Testament church did. They laid everything they had at the apostles' feet for the cause of Christ, for the sake of the kingdom. Now, who wants to go back to tithing? <laughs> anyway. It's a mindset that has to be shifted and broken. And I'll tell you why. Because until we do, until we see critical mass in this church get a hold of a bigger vision than the temporary, we're not going to realize the dream in our hearts. Because what we do is we see our income as the end product when we need to see it as the pre-product of potential. So stop looking at your income like it's an apple and start looking at it like it's a seed. A seed is loaded with potential. I want to say this, and this is where it might sound a bit harsh, but I'm cool with that. If we really wanted Toys R Us, we could have bought it. If we really want that warehouse in order to realize that dream, if we really want to plant churches into Dorchester, Exeter, beyond, and keep planting, we can do it. The seed is in the house. It's funny because normally I get more amens when I'm preaching. But because this is dealing with the issue of your money, I mean, you might be saying amen inside, but you're not going to say it out loud, but that's cool. But the seed's in the house. The seed's in the house. (laughs) It's like me keeping seed in my hand and expecting to grow a tree. Why isn't it growing? Because for the seed to work, it has to be planted in the soil. As long as it's in your hands, God can't unleash the potential that it carries. Jesus, in fact, says this. Jesus can get harsh now. He says, no one can serve two masters. You can't do it. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Yet so many of us think we can. Because we want to have our cake and eat it. We want to worship with the Lord's people. We want to sit under ministry. We want to participate in small groups. But then we want to keep our money to ourselves and not understand that the reason that we have anything is because of God. And so therefore we hold it with a liberty and freedom that says, when God says give, I'm like, yes. What did you say, 10? I'm going to give 20. Because now my thinking is not governed by what's in my hand. It's governed by what's in your hand. God wants to free you from the spirit of mammon, which is the word that Jesus uses here for money. 
It's the spirit that drives greed and gain and hoarding for me, makes me the God of my world. Number one, number one, number one. It's the spirit of materialism and consumerism. Listen, be free from it. The latest iPhone is not going to do it for you. The latest curved TV is not going to do it. The latest BMW is not going to do it for you. If you're spending time with Jesus, what's going to do it for you? Seeing more people bow the knee. What's going to do it for you? Seeing more churches planted. What's going to see it for you is not church buildings closed down, but church buildings opened. As you begin to spend time with Jesus, you get a bigger vision for your world. We, guys, we can literally change Paul. We can. Trying to speak to your soul here. Trying to stir faith in your heart. It can happen. If I didn't believe it could, I wouldn't bother doing this. It's not, it's not fun enough to do unless I really believe God can transform a district and then a nation. Starts with the likes of Sunny Hill, Richmond Park, BCC, St. Mary's, being free from the poverty mindset that says, God, I know what I have in my life is yours. I understand. I remember when I learned this principle. Phil, do you want to jump on the keyboard? There's a bit of chocolate here for you if you want it, pal. I don't know. Got a bit of uh, magna on it, but uh, I just want to bring you my offering and say thanks. Will you eat that? I'll give you a quid. I'll give you a quid. Oh, it's been near my mouth. I bit into it. I'll give you a pound if you eat that. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, yeah, ten percent has to go in the bucket. All right. I remember seeing this principle worked out in my life. This is what changed the way that I gave. I never really gave. To be honest, my mom and dad never really taught me the principle of tithing, and I don't know why. I don't, I don't have a grudge against that, but I know it's something that I take with serious responsibility to teach my children. Um, but I remember when I was at university, I was visiting my brother's church in London, I had 20 quid in my pocket, and I wasn't in a regular habit of giving at all. Every now and again, like a Christmas campaign, like a blanket appeal like we do here, I'd put like five pound in, and I'd feel like I was the most generous person in the world. Uh, but God really challenged me as the bucket was passed round, and I was more excited about the KFC I was going to buy with the money in my pocket on the way home. I had 20 quid, and I thought, that'll get me a bucket for sure. Even in London, that will buy me more than enough chicken. And so throughout the worship, I'm just thinking about this KFC I'm eating. The bucket's already gone by. And I'm thinking, oh, that's 20 quid, man, baby. It's going to buy me, got to buy me this KFC bucket. I cannot wait. And, you know, I could go back to my brothers and share it. Or I can eat it on the bus on the way home without him knowing. And that's cool, too. Because, God, I just know that you want me to be blessed. And so I'm just going to eat, 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 eat. And then God says, put your 20 quid in the offering. All of a sudden, I'm trying to create a theology that means that I can ignore God sometimes. Like that sometimes convictions are kind of confusing or maybe it's my conscience and maybe it's the enemy telling me that I shouldn't eat chicken and this isn't God. Because would God really ask me to put everything in? Like this £20 represented more than just the KFC bucket. Literally, I lived hand to mouth. I just, that was the money I had. And like hopefully the goodwill of my brother would help me out to get home. But this was my 20 quid. Would God really ask me to put everything in? So I battled with God for ages. Through the preach, I wasn't really listening. I was just battling like, God, you can't really want this from me. I know this is the church in London. There's millionaires here. They can give far more than me. And I felt like the widow's might kind of conviction. And so 
at the end of the service, I left the church and I started walking to the bus stop and God was just like, give it over. Give it over. I don't have 20 pounds, but imagine that's 20 pounds. Grab it. Oh, grab it. I was like, God. I was like, proper rent. All right, mate, you're pretty strong. No, no, seriously, let go now. Um, I'll take you out. I was like, God, I, I want to give it, but you know I need it. How will I get home? How will I own my KFC? Lord, I know that man cannot live on bread alone, but chicken helps as well. So God, just release it to me. And God was just like, in the bucket. Put it in the bucket. Like, I don't think God says flipping, but in that moment, it was like, put it in the flipping bucket. Like, do it now. And I remember going back into church and finding where the bucket was. And I, I remember putting it in the bucket. This was the first time I'd ever heard God talk about me giving something. I put the whole thing in the bucket, and I didn't feel that sort of release. Like, oh, oh this is awesome. Can't wait to see what God's going to do. I was like, God, you're on the cut on a thousand. Why are you taking 20 quid off a pauper for? Like, I'm a student, for goodness sake. I've got pressures. I've got bills. I've got student debts. I've got, I've got it all. I've got to get journey. I've got to get KFC bucket. Now that's off the menu. Crazy. I was annoyed. And it's funny. This old woman grabbed me just as I was going out the door. She just put a wad of cash into my hand. She said, I felt God tell me to give you this, but you left before the end of the service. 200 quid. I was like, where's that bucket? Where is that bucket? I want to put more in that bucket. <laughs> it's a magic bucket. I want to take that bucket home. <laughs> I need that bucket. I want to sell that bucket. Um, I remember immediately going 20, taking 20 quid out because I thought, I know about this tithing principle. Straight back into the bucket. 180 quid. God, I don't need 180 quid. I don't want to do with 180 quid. It's funny because I put 20 pound, like I say, of that into it. The next day, the pastor asked to see me of the church. And he says, just to say, we've loved having you with us for five weeks. We want to give you this. Gave me a check for 200 quid. I was like, what? I'm telling you, my life is loaded with testimony of blessing upon blessing. Blessing upon blessing. Like, I'm not just talking about financial blessing because that's small fry significant soul prosperity flourishing in life I've never had to push at doors God has opened doors before me every day of my life it's incredible and I honestly believe it stems back to this moment where from that day I never not tithed again me and Louise like well, actually before we got married even that was a miracle because I remember I, I put some money in an offering at Sunny Hill thinking I'm trying to save for a wedding ring and then within about two or three days, someone posted an envelope with hundreds of pounds in the thing. And I've been praying. I've been saying, God, if you want me to marry Louise, Lord, I can't afford a good engagement ring unless I go to Wilkinson's or something. So, God, she means more to me than that. Give me some money. And literally cash came under the door. And I was like, what is man that you're mindful of him? Who am I? Just in simple steps of obedience by yielding what I think is mine when it's really yours, giving it back to you and you pouring blessing into my life. Time and time and time again. I even entered the call of ministry and I left a band that was in the Midlands that had just signed to Sony. And I was thinking, do I really want to go to Bible college when my band have just been signed? I look back now and I think that was the best decision I ever made. Most of them are still living with their mom and dad. 
I pursued the call of God on my life and somehow ended up with a house in Paul. Like, what's that about? <laughs> I'm telling you, you surrender your will to God. You surrender your finance to God. Oh, I hope you can feel it. I'm not trying to get your money today. I'm trying to get your heart. If I can get your heart, your treasure will follow. I want more than your money. I want your desire, your passion to see God's kingdom come here in our generation. Now, yeah, give the Lord a round of applause. I want to see it. I want it to be normal for you to go into Sainsbury's or Asda on Camford Heath and for most people you walk into to be saved. I want that to be the norm for our children. I want to break this poverty mentality. I got a glimpse of it in Sainsbury's. I don't know if I should share this story. What do you reckon? All right, cool, I will. <laughs> On you, you guys encouraged it out of me. I went into Sainsbury's and uh, I went to pick up Louisa can get a prescription from the pharmacist. Is it okay to share this? It's funny, yeah. Uh, I went to the pharmacist and I was like, oh, cool. So here's a pick up a prescription. And she says, oh, you're dumb. I was like, yeah, I was like, you're, you're a good chemist. Like, you remember me, that's awesome. She says, ah, oh, no, we've been to Sunny Hill for the last, like, three or four weeks. Me and my husband just moved over from Ireland. And because for me, I had a dream a couple of years ago, ago about walking through Sainsbury specifically and seeing people who had given their life to Jesus. And that was the normal thing. I felt God remind me of that dream in that moment, thinking, one day, this will be the norm. You will talk and walk with people in life. May not be at Sunny Hill, maybe from another church, but revival would have broken into the district. Yates's Pool is a famous oil field in West Texas. During the Great Depression of the 1930s, this field was a sheep ranch owned by a man named Ira Yates. Because of Yates's inability to make enough money on his ranching operation to make his mortgage payment, he was in danger of losing his ranch. With little money for clothes or food, his family, like many others during the Depression years, had to live on government subsidy. Day after day, Yates would watch their sheep as they grazed over the rolling West Texas hills. He would rack his brain trying to figure out some way to pay all his bills. One day, a crew of men from an oil company came into the area and convinced Yates there might be oil in your land. They asked permission to drill a wildcat test well, and he agreed and signed a lease contract. At 1,115 feet, the drillers struck a huge oil reserve. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day, but that was only the beginning. Many more wells came in, some more than twice as productive as the first. Even now, it's in the top 10 of most productive oil fields in all of America. And to think the one-time sheep rancher Yates owned it all. When Yates purchased the ranch, he was more interested in grazing land for his sheep than he was in the oil and mineral rights. There he was, living on government subsidy, but sitting on a mammoth underground lake of incredibly valuable oil. He was a potential millionaire living in poverty. What was his problem? He didn't see it. Giving today and beyond drills wells into your life. Drills wells into your life where... As you begin to give according to what God's in, in his hands, start to give according to conviction and what you can't see, I believe that God is going to draw oil out of your life. You are going to be blessed so that you can be a blessing. And if you want that, stand with me now. I want to pray over you. We're going to take up our offering. We're going to sing our closing song. And if you don't want that, stay seated. That's cool. But Father God, I pray for every brother and sister stood with me today, Lord. I pray, God, that you would unleash blessing on their life as they respond in obedience to the call to give above and beyond their ability. 
Father, we do this offering, Lord, not just as a religious act, but it's an act of worship, Lord God. It's a way that we ensure that slave remains our, that money remains our slave and not our master. And so, God, over every believer in this room that is nurturing a poverty mentality and mindset, that is making them live in uh, fear and greed, Lord, I pray that you would break it in the name of Jesus and that you would unleash a spirit of generosity, a spirit of blessing, Lord, that would uh, cultivate a life that lives in faith and generosity. God, we don't want to just think, do I have to give this? We get to say, God, you are so worth it. We want to give. We want to give. We want to give. So God, help shift something in us to that end. So God, we welcome you in this act of giving now. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.